0: All right. What's up? What's up? What's up? up? Hi. How's everybody doing? What? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Sounded like a dying chicken or something like that. Hey, it's dark in there. How's everybody? Good. Are y'all enjoying this colder weather? I don't know what that means. Oh. Yeah, it's also, like, not great, cold start. I mean, I guess it's inevitable. You have to do it, but. How's school? School's good? Yeah? Okay. I'm sure y'all can figure out what we're doing tonight, right? No? That's right. We're doing questions and answers. We have our fantastic Q&A panel here. And... I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure all of you have been here for a Q&A before, but just to reiterate, we do this so that we have a chance to find out how much y'all are learning and different things like that. And especially over the last few weeks when we've dealt with a topic like election, we really want to give you all a chance to ask questions, to um, maybe focus in on some of the things that you're not quite sure of or you're misunderstanding, and hopefully we can provide some clarity on those things. But like our last few Q&A's, y'all don't get to ask the questions, we get to ask you the questions. And so, unfortunately, um, unfortunately Pastor Josh could not be here. I won't tell you what he, where he is, but on the count of three, I want all of you to say, break a leg, buddy. So, one, two, three. That's great, thank you. Um, and so, tonight, like I said, we're going to be talking about this issue of election that Josh has dealt with over the last few weeks in his series called Chosen. And so I'm going to kick it off. I want someone to define for me what election is. And if I hear the words Trump or Biden, you're going to get kicked in the face, okay? So who, who, who thinks they can define what election is in the context of what we've been talking about over the last couple weeks? Andre.
1: Um. Basically, we are chosen before
2: uh, the earth was created. Uh, before creation. By God. By God. For his okay. salvation. Anybody
1: agree? Anybody disagree? Agreed. Agreed. What does it say that? Does anyone else want to say it? I believe Okay,
3: okay. Now I have a question. What? So, you know what they called like. The divine right of something, it was like way, it's like this one teaching way back when, I think like Catholic or something. Like right of it's kind of sorta, but my teacher he put it in a way saying, "You're destined to either go to heaven or hell when you're born." So I don't know if that like no. part of you it. Were well two. this is?
0: So 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 let me let, let me let me clarify something real quick for y'all and hopefully you know obviously this is gonna answer all your questions, but what we're talking about is we're talking about the biblical teaching on God's sovereignty and salvation, dealing with first and foremost his election of some to salvation. Now, people want to equivocate and they want to say that election, that predestination, that what the Bible says about these things is the same as what's known as either fatalism or determinism, right? Those are philosophical categories of schools of thought about the way the world is structured. What the Bible says about election and fatalism is not the same thing, okay? So what the Bible says about, um, you know, God's sovereignty and salvation and determinism is not the same thing. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time To really get into what the particular differences are but when people say something like that Casey when they say like basically you're either destined to go to heaven or you're destined to go to hell and there's nothing you can do about it that's not what the Bible teaches and that's not what we're talking about people want to make it sound like that's what we're saying but that's not what we're saying so like I said we might we might be able to kind of flesh that out a little bit more at a later time but if somebody gives you something like that, some form of determinism or some form of fatalism where they basically say nothing you do matters because uh, it's all been predetermined before you know, the world was created, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the same thing. That's something else. Okay? So does any of our, everyone understand when we're talking about election what we're talking about? Right? I, think, I think Andre kind of defined it very well. It's about God's choice before the world was created. So let me ask you one more question. Why does God choose some and not others? And here's the thing, listen, if you have to think about this, that's okay, but if you're like, I don't really know, let me look in my Bible, that's, I'd really encourage that. So if you know of somewhere in your Bible that says, hey, well, here's where it says something, I think that would be good to read that, but why do you think God chooses some and not others? Mmm, stumped. Anybody? Anybody want to take, take a guess? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> he he like knows our future.
1: He like knows uh, he's like already planned it out. Okay. But why one and not the other?
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, because it's what will give him the most glory. Uh, I thought it had something to do with, This is just part of it. Uh, it's not that one person was better than the other. It's just you were chosen. I think that's what I got from last time, Sunday night. Okay,
0: so it's not dependent on, on the person
3: that's chosen? So it's kind of in the sense of is he can show his glory through a person such as Saul, you no, know, he was killing, persecuting Christians, and you know God used him because you knew His works would be shown, or God's, you know, glory, or yeah, acts will be shown in Him through the, you know, the way of His repentance and. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess, I'm going to take a guess, ahead, yeah. probably cause he already knows the outcome, so he knows.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, so Anthony kind of said, because he kind of knows what's going to happen, so he makes his choice based on what he knows is going to happen. So God's not really doing the choosing, somebody else is doing the choosing at that point, right? Right, but if he's choosing based on future actions, yeah, if he's choosing, right, you kind of, you all you know, like, these are tough, like, philosophical categories we're having to deal with. If God's choosing based on somebody's future choices, who's actually the ultimate chooser? The future, whoever's doing the future choosing. Right? Because God says, I've got to wait to find out what Brad's going to do. And then once I know what Brad's going to do, then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to choose him. So who's ultimately the one doing the choosing? Brad is. Right. It's not God. Is that what the Bible teaches? So why does God say, I'm going to choose Brad and not somebody else? (laughs) Why does God choose some and not others? You're talking. I'll let you talk in the mic. Why do you think God chooses someone out of
5: Would any of y'all know where to look in the Bible to find the answer to that?
6: Because some are saved.
0: Because some are saved, but why?
5: <laughs> Romans chapter 9. But why? Anybody? Got your Bibles? Y'all got to thank Romans nine nineteen. Somebody look that up and read through.
0: Did y'all hear that? Romans nine. Hey, Cortland, will you check the volume on that mic? I talk quiet anyway. Make sure, make sure it's good in the live stream as well as in, uh, as well as in the house. That way, we can make sure we hear him. Talking to it a little
5: bit. Testing one two testing. Romans nine nineteen and further.
0: Who wants to read it? Read it in the mic.
1: You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for those who can resist his will? But who are you, O man? To answer back to God, will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump on one vessel for honor, honorable use as a uh, use an, an, another for dishonorable use. What if God desires to uh, to showing his wrath and to make his own power has endured with much patience. Vessels of wrath prepared for the destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even as whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the uh, gentiles gentiles, as indeed he says, and okay was that it going? Did, did you going yeah what he saying?
6: So, after, after consoling Romans nine nineteen, it went into a very deep thought about how everybody serves their purpose in the world. So, not everybody's purpose is to be saved, like, because it was talking about the vessels of mercy. They're obviously there to show God's mercy, but then there's also the vessels of wrath who will, like, testify against God and His will. So, it's like everybody serves their own purpose and, like, testifying against there's testifying for, right?
1: And that thing and all that is for his glory. thing said earlier. I don't think you
4: can say that now, just to be honest. There are categories. Where do we all start? Where do we all begin when we're born, when we're conceived? Okay. So what do we, ger- what do we deserve? Okay. Which in God's economy is called, yeah, but it's is it is it unfair or is it just? Yes. It is just. So, he is glorified in showing justice for sin to be punished. And then he's also glorified in mercy for those that he chooses to save. We're all destined for hell. Every one of us. But the ones that he chooses, he has given mercy. There's two kinds of people. Those that receive justice and those that will receive mercy. And he's glorified in both. That's hard for us to understand when you kind of wrap your mind around it. But that the Bible's clear about that. So it's, that's the category you have to start with. You have to start with what do we deserve. We deserve justice for the wages of sin is death. And that's what we all deserve. And so it, when you, we speak of God's election, you can't look at it as s- some will look at it and say, well, that's not fair. He chose people for hell. No, everybody's destined for hell because they sinned. He didn't put them there. They did it. They're sinful. Back in the Ro- Romans 9 that, that he was just talking about, st- he's speaking of twins, Jacob and Esau. Before they'd done either thing, anything good or bad, he chose Jacob I loved, Esau I've hated. Esau sinned. He deserves what he got. It's not that he was chosen to be a sinner. He was a sinner. Jacob was a sinner. Jacob received mercy. Esau received justice. If that
2: helps. One more passage that talks about that. Drew asked the the question, why? And and also... um, Ephesians 1 speaks to that. Um, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, and listen to this, according to the good pleasure of his will. And so that gives us some insight into how God went about the choosing. It wasn't anything to do with anything that any of us would do. It was according to the pleasure. It says here, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then the next verse continues on with the thought of glorifying himself, like we've been talking about, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And that that's really what heaven's going to be about and i'm excited about that that we get to behold the the glory of god in the face of jesus christ for an eternity reveling in the glories of his grace and over and against the the wrath that we would have should have could have received Um, had he not chosen Of the own good pleasure of his will to save us. So I would like to ask one one question here. Drew talked about fatalism and fatalism is the thought that since everything's already planned out that your choices don't matter do whatever you want. Um, And that's not true. Our choices do matter like Drew was saying. Our choices matter. Um, So let me ask you this. When we say God chose us in the Bible, Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I've chosen you. But some of you in this room that are saved, there was a point in your life where you changed your mind. You had a change of mind. You had a change of heart about who Jesus was, who who you were, and you made a choice you you said i jesus save me i'm a sinner i believe in you you know so can y'all tell me how that happens like what what happens to to do that Corlin, you got to
1: um god made the choice for you um so he changed your like mind about him okay. you didn't do anything like to be saved okay he did, he did it all
2: that's right. So he said he changed your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit and kind of, kind of, maybe from some biblical terms, or maybe do you have a verse that you could kind of point to and say, "Hey, this is, this is what, this is how God changed my mind," and, and kind of what it looks like in the Bible. That's um, okay if you don't. I'm just asking.
1: I can't think of a verse off the top of my head. If, if somebody else can. Um, yeah there's a there's a Ephesians um, whichever one the can is talking about um, I'm trying What was the question again? Like, 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 what you saying is true can you tell me where it is Um give me a second <laughs> Yeah he wrote a song about I was dead but God, By God who's
2: rich in mercy what's that? but God who's rich in mercy what did he do? He He's made, made me alive he made me alive <laughs> there you go uh, he, regeneration regeneration yeah. He, he, it's called regeneration, regeneration, yes, there we go, yeah, you're welcome, so regeneration, when we, here's some synonymous terms, regeneration, being made alive, being born again, those are all speaking of the same truth, in which God takes someone who is spiritually dead, Another, another way of putting that is the Bible talks that being, about that being a natural man. Um, Paul says in Corinthians 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, The natural man does not receive the things of God, nor can he understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, the natural man, the dead man, the unregenerate man, cannot, he can hear facts about Jesus, but he does not receive that. It's like, eh, eh, you know, whatever. So, does that make sense? Yes. And so, when we're talking about being born again, being regenerated, being made alive. Um, we're, we're talking about something that God does apart from us. It is a work that he does on his own that we have nothing to do. Let, let me show you this as an example. And God gives us these as great examples to illustrate this truth. Um, your natural human birth, Did you, were you there when you were born? Yes. Yes. Were you the one that decided when you would be born? No. You were passive in that. You were there, and it was being done to you. It, It was really being done to you, but you were not making it happen. It was happening to you. And it may look something like this in that, you know, God is, is working in your life just like a baby in the womb is having things done to it. You know, it's being filled uh, or it's being fed, it's being, it's growing, it's developing all of this, but it's not born yet. And then in one moment, it is born and its eyes open for the first time and it breathes in for the first time. And it cries out, and I think that first cry for someone who is being saved is something like, Jesus, save me. And so we're given these analogies to show us the, the, the true realities of what being born again looks like. Um, Jesus gave us a great illustration, Lazarus being raised from the dead. Could Lazarus do anything No, he would have laid there and rotted in his deadness, and worms would have eaten his flesh. But Jesus raised him up. Now, after he raised him up, did he want to stay in the tomb? (laughs) No. What did he do? He ran to Jesus. And that's the same for us. When Jesus raises us up, and we can see the king of glory, and we see, you know, grave cloths on us, say, I'm a I was a dead man, and he just made me alive, we run to Jesus. We see that we're sinful, and that he's a sufficient Savior, and he's glorious, and we love him, and we run to him uh, for salvation. Does that make sense? Okay.
1: Don't drop the mic. (laughs) Yeah, don't drop your mic.
4: So practically speaking, all right, you go out into the world and, and, and you know these truths, okay, God has chosen whom he will and whom he will not, whom he will save and whom will receive justice. Does that necessarily change your responsibility to share the gospel? And does it change the, your methodology? Does it change your responsibility? If God's already chosen, what, what difference does it make? Do you have a responsibility?
0: Let's see. By show of hands, who thinks it changes your responsibility? Who thinks it does not change your responsibility? All right. Why? Logan had his hand. Logan had his hand up way before. Oh. I
6: swear I did. I swear I did. Give me. Don't touch me. Don't touch the mic. Listen to what I'm about to say. Don't swear. Oh man. Okay. No, I said I swear. <laughs> okay, so Mr. Josh kinda touched on this last uh Wednesday and he was saying that no, it doesn't change it. I don't remember the exact words he says, but I'm gonna say it in my words. Um basically the Bible still calls us to evangelize and spread the word. And it's not you're not spreading the word for the purpose of saving somebody because you can't save somebody. You're still called to do it and then if God ordains it, he will save that person or he won't, you know? So we're still called to do it and that's why we do it, not for the purpose of saving somebody.
1: Well, like we just said, uh, they're made alive, they're dead, and us sharing the gospel to them could could give them a uh eye and, you know, them being more interested in it and then maybe let the Spirit work its way into them and make them alive. They don't take baby steps.
0: God <laughs> takes steps for them. What do y'all to push? Hey, do, do, do y'all remember when Josh was talking about Martin Luther? And you remember he said Martin Luther got a Bible and he was studying the Bible and he started reading in Romans and he read something in Romans and that's what changed his perspective. Do y'all remember what he read? Do y'all remember where in Romans he read it? Nope. Oh, there is no Romans 18. Nope. Nope. Huh? Nope. 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 Romans three, two, three, 1. Do you remember where in Romans 1? No. It was Romans It was six. Yeah, it was verses sixteen and seventeen. Okay. Who? Yeah. Hey. Somebody pull that up and read it for us. Okay. Here, read it in the mic. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the
1: power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? it says it right after. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. For it is the for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes.
0: So I'm going to introduce you to some categories real quick. Okay, we talk about ends. We talk about means. Okay, we talk about ends, and we talk about means. When we talk about ends, we're talking about the end state of something, right? The ultimate goal. Uh, The, you know, final destination, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. Not really final destination. That's something else. But the point is, is that God is the one who ordains the ends, right? If God has elected to save Cailin, God has ordained that Cailin will be saved, right? And there's nothing that can thwart his purpose and his plan for Cailin's life. But... God also uses means to accomplish those ends, right? So it could be something like the Damascus Road experience that Paul had. How was Paul saved? Yeah, like Jesus appeared, right? Jesus just appeared out of nowhere and said, quit doing this. Be saved, basically, you know, if you want to paraphrase. That's the Drew Bieber paraphrase. Oh, but, but how, are, how, are, how are we saved today? It says it right there in Romans 1.16. Through the gospel. Because it's the gospel. So God has ordained the ends, right? He has ordained individuals to be saved. But he's also ordained that it's going to take place through means. And the primary means he's chosen for how people will be saved is through the preaching of the gospel. Right? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's why we proclaim the gospel. That's why our responsibility doesn't change. Because like Logan said, it's not up to us to save people, but God has ordained that through the preaching of the gospel, people will be saved, and so we say, yes, Lord, and amen, and we go, and we preach the gospel, and we leave the rest to God.
5: Joe used two examples on uh, being born again. There's an example in scripture for evangelism. In Mark 4, it talks about a sower goes out to sow. He's sowing seeds, seeds the gospel. The sower has no control over those seeds' growth, but he can sow the seed. So that's the picture that Scripture gives us. We scatter seed. God causes growth. And that's, what, that, that's the way God's ordained it.
4: Where do we get the mandate from, though? Matthew 28. Look up Matthew 28. And that's where we have been told as believers to share the gospel. But based on... It says go and, and, and tell, every, baptize. But the key thing is he says, Jesus himself says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's the authority with which we carry the gospel to the, to the world. You have a confidence in the power of the gospel, as Paul just said, but the, the authority with which we carry the gospel to the nations is Christ himself.
0: Yeah. Who has? Did somebody look up Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen? You have it. Yeah. Go, go go ahead and go ahead and read it. Read it for us, real quick. Yeah. Do you don't need the mic? That's all right. Yeah. Yes. All right. Pause. Right. So he says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore." What's the rule with therefores? Right. When you see a therefore, you need to ask what it is there for. Right. So there's usually there's usually a context. Right. If you see therefore, blah, 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 blah. That means that based on what I just said. Right. So Jesus is telling us, go preach the gospel. Therefore, go preach the gospel. Well, based on what? What are we supposed to go preach the gospel based on? All authority being given to Jesus. We don't go preach the gospel because, hey, I've given you all the ability to save people. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel. No, no, he says, I have the authority. And because I have the authority, go, therefore. So,
2: Tim talked about that, you know, sowing the seed. And um, if you've heard Tim Evans for long preach, you've heard him reference this verse. 1 Peter 1.23 uh, It says, we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So that is kind of the explanation. And it says born again. And what what are some synonyms of being born again? Regeneration. Regeneration, made alive, death to life. Yeah. Being born again... Through the word of God. So there it is. We read the, the gospel, which is God's word. God, the gospel is in God's, found in God's word. It is the power of God unto salvation. And here it says, you've been born again through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so absolutely, God uses the power of the gospel To cause people to be born again he uses that that is the means like Drew talked about that is the means that God has chosen to use Um, and here's the think about this with me some people would want to say that that these doctrines don't matter well it doesn't matter who chooses who or whatever we're all preaching the same gospel right well If you have this view that it is entirely God that does the saving and he has given you a specific tool to use, which is the the whole counsel of God, the gospel, the power of the gospel, and he's given you the authority um, to wield it and all of that, you know going out there when you're scattering those seeds that some of those seeds God is going to cause to grow. He's going to bring a dead man to life. He's going to really do that in some of those people's lives. And there's two reasons that that's very important to have that view of it. Um, One is to motivate you to share the gospel, knowing that he indeed will save some. And number two is this. If you think that it's about you manipulating someone's will and you talking someone into making a decision or this and that, your tendency will be to water down the gospel. That will be your tendency. And that's one reason that we see over and over and over all of these TV preachers, all, you know, you could go up and down the road and there's probably many preachers that are watering down the gospel because they think that they have the, the strength in their own will to change a man's heart, to manipulate, to talk someone into it. And all we do is we throw this imperishable seed of the gospel, God's word out there, and he does the work. So these things, one, they matter because the moment, I know for me, the the moment that I realize that my salvation really had zero to do with me and that God, and listen to this, that God, could have just as easily allowed me to run straight to hell on my own but he didn't he saved me that that thought should be enough to motivate you to serve the lord for the rest of your life to give your life for jesus that's an incredible thought that's what I mean.
0: Um, so if God is sovereign, why does he allow suffering? Is he sovereign over suffering?
3: <laughs> so, why does he bring suffering? Because it's just, so what he deserves, and also shows his glory. Jesus
4: allowed his son to suffer so he did get
3: rid of him
4: to get out. No. 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 In that same passage he was just in, 1 Peter 1. Go back up to verse 3 and start reading. Good answers your
3: 1 First Peter. First Peter 1, start in verse 3. All, p- All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that keeps, that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Undef- Oh, yeah. right, okay. Beyond the reach of change and decay And through your faith God is protecting you by his power Until you receive his salvation Which is ready to be revealed on the last day For all to see
4: One more, keep going, that was my fault
3: So be truly glad This is a wonderful joy ahead Even though you must endure Many trials for a little while
4: wow. Keep going, set
3: these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Your faith is far more precious than mere gold.
4: Okay. Did you catch that? I don't know what translation you've got. but um, Is still a test of faith? It's uh, th- what he says there is he gives the gospel. Again, he's used the language we have been using He caused us to be born again to a salvation is kept in heaven by God. But he goes on to say, In this you rejoice now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through the, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You, our, our trials, our sufferings are meant for our good, and he is sovereign over them again another good book is the book of job it starts out it is um, God allowing a man to go through um very very difficult trials and ultimately he um, praises God for it but yes so he's nothing that comes anyone's way catches God by surprise that's what sovereignty means he's in charge and in control of everything. So there's not a there's no news you or anyone can ever receive that he was not aware of way before it happened to you.
0: Yeah, if you notice the theme, it always ends up going it always ends up going back to the fact that God is sovereign, right? We've talked about God's sovereignty before. And We often, when we think of things like God's sovereignty, we think, well, he's sovereign over the weather. He's sovereign over whether or not the Falcons are going to win or lose. He's sovereign over, you know, whether or not the traffic's going to be real bad on my drive home. But often what happens is because of our own pride and our own egos, we think, but he's not sovereign over my salvation. I get to decide if I want to believe in Jesus. I get to decide if I'm going to ask him in my heart, which is asking Jesus in your heart in the Bible? No. Remember I told you that last Q&A. I told you to tuck that in your back pocket and hang on to that. It's not in the Bible, right? But if God is truly sovereign, that means that salvation is ultimately up to him. This is what we've been talking about this whole time. It's ultimately dependent on his choice, not on your choices. And here's the truth, right? And this is something, this is often why we struggle with this, is because we don't actually reckon with just how wicked and how sinful and how depraved and how just vile we are, we think that we're actually pretty decent people. So we think that, no, if it were up to me, I'd totally choose Jesus. No, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I make good choices. If God left it up to me, I'd totally do the right thing, right? We say that when we see other people make mistakes. Well, you see what happened to so-and-so? Well, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't have done that. But here's the truth, is that if your salvation was up to you, you'd never choose Jesus. yeah exactly that's that's what that's what this whole thing has been about (laughs) yeah but that's the truth that's the truth if it were up to you you would never choose jesus and somebody look up um ezekiel 36 for me ezekiel 36 i think it's 21 no No. 36:26, uh, right? So, do y'all know who Ezekiel was? He was a prophet. Do you know when he prophesied? He prophesied during the exile. Are y'all familiar with the exile? Okay. Israel. God made a covenant with Israel, right? If you go back to Deuteronomy, you read in the book of Deuteronomy, God makes a covenant with Israel. He says, if you do these things. You will be blessed if you disobey me. You will be cursed. I will be your God. You will be my people. And what do we see throughout all of Israel's history? What do we see throughout all of Old Testament history? Israel always turns its back on God, back on God every single time. Right? They have, they have moments of prosperity, and then all of a sudden they all turn away, and they all chase their sin instead. Right? They all disobey God. And so what ends up happening, right, this is really the super condensed version. So God says, all right, I'm going to judge Israel. Y'all are going to be taken into captivity. And that's, that's, what, ha- that's what the exile is. They were taken into captivity by pagan nations. And it, it, Ezekiel is prophesying of a new covenant, right? He's prophesying of something that God's going to do. And so read, read for me Ezekiel um, uh, 36, 26, and 27, right? So we see, it, we see with Israel's history, right? God said, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you'll be cursed. What did they continue to do? They continued to disobey. When left up to them, they disobeyed every single time. And so Ezekiel's prophesying of this, of this new thing that God's going to do. And what does he say? He says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statue and be careful to obey my rules. So God recognizes if sinners are left to their own devices, they will always choose sin every single time. And so what does he do? He says, because of that, I'm going to go ahead and give you a new heart. If you notice, that's why often when you hear us pray, that's what we pray for. Right? We don't pray that, you know, somebody would make a decision for Jesus. We pray, no, God, we pray that you would take their hearts of stone out, like it says in Ezekiel. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart. Because you can't do it on your own. It requires God to change your heart, first and foremost. God to put his spirit within you so that you will walk according to his statutes and according to his ways. Right? Y'all, if we don't reckon with the fact of our own, like, sinfulness, the reality of our own wickedness, we'll never come to fully we'll never come to fully appreciate and fully praise God for his sovereignty and salvation it starts with recognizing that you know what i'm dead i can't do anything because i'm dead dead people can't do anything can dead people make decisions for jesus no they're dead they can't do anything they're dead right they're dead they're dead they're dead, dead not 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 kind of sick dead Not like, you know, Call of Duty dead where you get one last shot off. Not not that kind of, no, like you're dead dead. Dead people can't do anything. Dead people choose their sin. Dead people stay dead in their sins. And unless God does something, unless God takes out the heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh, unless God comes and makes you alive, we're stuck in our sins. Does that make sense? Dead dead. Dead people don't know that they're dead either. Can do dead people know anything? No, they're dead. yeah, what Paul Washer, going
2: along with that that thought, uh Paul Washer talks about this and talking about how you know we were we were dead in sins, we were slaves of sin, our old nature, um, we love sin, we we're slaves of it, that's all we did, and he tells. He puts it in this way. He said, if you took over here and put a pile of slop, and then over here you put a freshly, perfectly seasoned and cooked steak, and you let a pig in the room, where would the pig go? What would it run to? Every single time that pig would go to the slop and it would love it. Now, what if why it's over there just going to town on that slop, you could take that pig heart out and that pig mind out and you could put the heart and mind of a man in that pig, what would, the, what would the pig do? He would be disgusted with what he was doing. He would probably vomit up what he had just eaten and he would go over to that steak because it was his nature to love that slop. But when his nature is changed, he, desi- he has new affections. He has new desires. And that's how it is when, when God causes us to be born again. Our nature is changed. We have new affections for Christ, for his word, for his people.
0: And all that being said that we've talked about, would I be correct in saying that sovereignty of God means that he can only do, or he can't do anything to me that I don't
6: give him permission to do?
0: Because he wants to make sure you're sure. You've got you to be confident in your answers. So the sovereignty of God is, let me say it like this, he cannot do anything to me that I don't give him permission to do. I'm false? sure. False. False. are you sure? Yeah, he's. Neither Satan, by the way. Yeah.
5: Do y'all remember the verse that Josh talked about two weeks ago, John six forty four? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He talked about that word draw. Does anybody remember drag yeah yeah some other ways that word's used like taking water in a bucket and pulling it up out of a well if you got a sword in a sheath and you pull that sword out of the sheath you're drawing that sword same word if guards come and grab you under the arms and haul you to court that's how that word is used that's the picture behind that word in any of those three examples did the bucket of water or did the person about to be dragged to court or did the sword say i'm okay with you doing that to me No, something with greater power and authority and force enacted on that object, right? And it didn't wait for the object to be okay with it. And this is what Jesus says. No one can come to me unless the being with greater authority and power enacts himself on you. He doesn't wait for you to say, I'm ready. He does it. That's the picture. That's what Jesus yeah. says. Because
0: letters. if it's left up to you, right, will you ever be ready?
4: So to bring it back around, if when you because you will run into people, when when you we've we've labeled a few truths that the the gospel is powerful to save that is the tool with which the means with which God saves people he has ordained that people will hear the gospel and they will be born again they will be regenerate he has also ordained that we carry that message that we carry that to the people to be to hear so when you go should you be confident or should you worry about what what you're gonna say there's a confidence with which those truths we carry that because I I can't talk anybody into heaven I can't I can't do it Um, I don't even have to be articulate with the message just the message itself so there's a confidence that comes with it but you're gonna have people that will bristle that will claim to be followers of Christ that will hold up this term free will that's not in the Bible. The term free will is not in the Bible. You can't have a sovereign God and a sovereign human.
0: Right, we have talked about that before, right? There's two categories of being. There's God and there's, there's not God. Who's in the God category? God. What's everything else in? Not God. Right there. You can't have two sovereigns. There's only one, there's only one God. But I'm going to tell created. you,
4: being in the Bible Belt in Alabama where you live, you will run into a lot of people that will fight for their free will and their choice to the death. That is the, that's the biggest obstacle that you will face sharing the gospel. It's not the unbeliever that's just completely unchurched. It's that person that is holding on to this idea that their choice and their freedom they will go as far as to say it usurps exactly what, I mean, Keith didn't just make that up. There are a lot of people out there that believe that God cannot violate my free will, my choice. And that's, you will not find that in Scripture.
0: Yeah, there was a saying in the 90s, probably before that too, where they would say something like, well, the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. And he'll wait for you to invite him in. It's not in the Bible. Right? What, 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 what does Ezekiel prophesy? He prophesies that, God, I will put a new heart within you. I will put a spirit within you and cause you. Right? He doesn't say, I will be a gentleman and wait for you to invite me in. Is that, is that what Ezekiel prophesied?
5: Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit is like the wind and goes where it wants to go.
0: Exactly. That's it. I mean but But hundred percent, hundred percent. Listen, listen. If that was true, right? If if that sort of like uh what's the word I can't think of the term, but if that were true, right, that God's not gonna do anything without your permission, one hundred percent of sinners would go to hell. One hundred percent, without exception. It's only because God does something that anybody saved. And that's the question we really need to ask, right? Brad hit on this point towards the beginning. He said, some will receive mercy and some will receive justice. The question is not, well, you know, why does God, you know, save some and not others? The God, question is, why does God save anybody? Right? Everybody deserves to go to hell. And if left to their own devices, everybody would want to go to hell. So the question is not, well, why does God send people to hell? No, the question is, why would God save anybody? And honestly, I mean, Scripture gives us clear testimony, but ultimately it's a mystery. Why did God decide to do it that way? I don't know. But we know that he's going to be glorified, and we're going to praise him forever. We're going to glorify him forever because of what he's done. Thoughts? Questions? Comments? Anybody want to fight about it? Well, y'all, y'all tell us. So, so, so here's the thing. Like, I want y'all to understand that, like, with stuff like this, like, you're kind of drinking from a fire hose. Y'all are getting a lot thrown at you all at once. It took me years to wrestle with these biblical truths. And I'm talking years, and then even when I started to see them, it took me a long time to accept them, right? To say, to finally, like, say, well, this is, this is true. If this is what God says, then I have to believe it. I don't have a choice anymore. And so, like, I just want y'all to understand, none of you fool any of us. Like, we know you don't get it. I mean, we know you get it, but we also know that, like, we also know that, like, there, there's a level in which, like, you still have to work through some things, and that's okay. And that's why we want. That's why we want to talk to y'all, and that's why we want to ask you questions, but then also let y'all ask us questions. You'll
2: read a verse, you'll read a verse, and like in the stoning of Stephen, when Stephen looks out at these people that are stoning him, and he said, he said he will say like you you hard-hearted people you resist the holy spirit just like your fathers before you and some people want to look at that and they say well, wait a minute like like I, I thought that like you know here here's people resisting the holy spirit and if we're talking about how god is the one that just does this but these people are resisting him maybe it's maybe maybe there's some maybe maybe, yeah, or maybe God's kind of sovereign, but man does have the ability to resist him, and so maybe God tries to save everybody, but everybody doesn't let him, or, you know, whatever. Well, and then you start making connections, and you'd be like, well, wait a minute. He said, you hard-hearted people. what do you, What do you have to do for a heart to not be hard anymore? Take out your heart of... You, stone your hard heart yes and so he's saying you people are dead and you're acting like dead men It's what Stephen is saying just like you know like he was saying like your Israelite forefathers before you they acted like a bunch of dead men because most of them were um so as you as you read the bible you'll start to make those connections and it's great when you know the the more you get into it and the more you start to see man there's no there's there's, there's nothing in the Bible that contradicts itself. Um, and so just adding to what your point, yeah. And it's fine. It's fine to take, you know, I, I would love for all of y'all to leave here tonight and say, you know, I agree with what they were saying. I agree with that. I agree that God did every bit of my salvation and I didn't have any part of it. I don't fully understand it yet. And I want to understand it more. And that's so that if y'all could all leave with that, that would be, that would be great. So
4: and just to make your head hurt a little bit, um in Exodus God speaks of Pharaoh along the hard-hearted it's it says multiple times back and forth, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. The the point is, Pharaoh did what he wanted to do, which was sin. But he's absolutely right. Until, that, until you've given the heart of flesh, you will do what you want to do. And what you want to do
5: is sin. Speaking of that hard heart, Scripture talks about, Romans 9, like we read, one lump of clay, right? And that's symbolizing all mankind, right? And God takes some of the clay. He says, I want to use this for an honorable vessel, maybe a cup that I'm going to use at supper every night, whatever that is, an honorable vessel, something good. Right, he does that, right? Then he's got another vessel he wants to make for something dishonorable. And of course, Scripture lays out the spiritual principles at work. But how do you harden clay? You, l- you leave it. You don't touch it. You don't add water to it. You don't work it. You leave it to its own devices. Spiritually, what does that say about us? Pharaoh's heart was hardened not cause God did something to him But because God left Pharaoh to be Pharaoh, a sinner, and it showed his hardness of heart. So the reverse is true. If you have a soft heart, it's because God has worked your heart. If you have a hard heart, which I'm sure some of you do or have had, it's because God is not working it. Right?
0: Yeah, and ultimately, like I said, we struggle with this idea of God's sovereignty, you know, because we have a lot of pride, we think of ourselves as pretty good people, but the ultimate reason we struggle with God's sovereignty is because we have the same problem that Adam and Eve had. Do you all remember Adam and Eve lived in the garden? What did, what was the serpent's temptation, right? He said, no, the food is good to eat and it'll make you like God, right? And that's our problem, is we want to be sovereign and we want to be like God, so we reserve for ourselves some amount of sovereignty. But, and we reserve for ourselves, like Brad said, this idea of our own free will. Well, God doesn't have a free will, but I do. I have a free will. That's because I'm like God. That's because I'm God. I'm reserving myself the ability to act like God. And here's the, I mean, but like Tim is saying, right, this has to do with our natures, right? Do y'all know what a herbivore is? What is a Herbivore. Her- all right, all right, hey, 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 bring it back, bring it back. Herbivores eat plants. Carnivores eat meat, right? Now, here's my question. Now, here's my question, right? If you put a piece of meat in front of an herbivore, does he have a legitimate choice to choose the meat? He does. He could choose the meat, but, but so listen, listen, he could choose the meat, but will he? Why not? Because by nature, because by nature, he eats plants. So the question is not, do you have a will? Of course you have a will. Of course you make choices, and of course your choices matter. But, like we've been saying this whole time, if left to your own devices, are you going to choose God? No, because what is your nature? Your nature is the nature of a sinner, and the nature of a sinner wants to choose sin all the time. So, yes, we have a will. Yes, we make choices. Yes, we have legitimate choices. But our wills are constrained by our nature in the same way a herbivore's choices are constrained by its nature. It could legitimately choose to eat meat anytime it wants to, but it will never do it because it is acting in accordance with its nature. And that's true of us, it's that we act in accordance with our nature. 100% they'll die. So let's, like, let's kind of, did y'all have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. One um, one
2: Exodus 33:18, And this is pretty early on. This is Exodus, pretty early on in God revealing himself to Moses and the Israelites and all that. And, and, and Moses asked God this question. Please show me your glorious. What is it about you that makes you so glorious? You know what he says? What how God answers him? He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And then he says this, listen to this. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Do you know what he's saying there? Ultimately, what he's saying, I'm, I'm glorious, I'm God, because I'm the only one that truly has free will. It's what makes me God. Who but God can do whatever they want? Only God. And he proclaims it specifically in the area of salvation. Now, he has power and free will over everything, but he chooses in revealing that sovereignty to Moses to apply it specifically to salvation. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy
0: and compassion on whom
2: I have compassion. So,
0: Yeah, so we've kind of, like I said, it's kind of been like drinking from a fire hose, right? We've thrown a lot of stuff at you. Um, more than anything else, so here's the thing. I don't want y'all to take what we say and to just leave it there, right? Well, I'm going to believe it because Drew said it. Um, That's a terrible reason to believe anything, although everything I say is correct and true. That's a horrible reason to believe it, right? More than anything else, what we want for y'all is to read the Bible and to know what it says and and to draw your beliefs from the Bible, not from what so-and-so said or not from, well, because I just like to think of it this way. Well, quite frankly, the way you think about it means nothing and matters none. Like what matters is what God says. And so more than anything else, what we want for y'all is to search the scriptures to find out what it says. And so we've been talking about this issue of God's sovereignty, specifically his sovereignty in salvation. And his sovereignty in salvation starts with his election. It starts with the fact that those who are saved are saved because God determined to save them not because of anything good within themselves, not because, you know, as some people will say, he looked down the corridors of time and said, you know what? As I'm looking down the corridors of time, Ethan looks like a pretty good guy. I think I'm going to choose him. He seems like a winning horse. I'm going to go ahead and bet on Ethan, right? That's not what he does. He simply says, I determined to save Ethan. And because he is God, he gets to do whatever he wants, And so when he says, I'm going to save Ethan, is there anything Ethan can do to change that? No. Nothing. And the question, the ultimate question is not, well, why, why doesn't God save everybody? No, the question is, why would God save anybody? Do you know what kind of terrible person Ethan is? There's no reason God should choose Ethan, but yet he did. And God, because Ethan is a sinner, Ethan's got a heart of stone. Ethan's dead in his trespasses and sins. If left up to Ethan, Ethan would never choose God. And yet for some strange reason, right? And this is, this is the case for all believers anywhere at all times in all places forever. God decided to take out our hearts of stone and gives a, give us hearts of flesh. God determined, I'm going to make them alive and I'm going to cause them to follow me. Why did he do it that way? I don't know, but praise God he did. Because the truth is, I would not be here. I got better places to think to to be and better things to do than be here hanging out with y'all. But it's only because of God's but it's only because of God's grace. It's only because of God's grace that I'm here, standing before you today, and that's that's true for all of us. And so, if y'all want to read some more on this, we talked about a lot of scripture verses today. Read the book of Exodus. Exodus says a lot about what God's going to do and the fact that the Almighty God can never be stopped. Uh, Read in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. To me, that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, in my opinion, is the best summarization of what the gospel is. Um, So read Ephesians 2. Read the book of Romans, right? Romans is a little bit longer. Um, But you notice in in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, what does he start with? He starts with how sinful people are, and it's only when we understand how sinful we are, then he goes into but God, right? So read in Romans, read in Ephesians, read the Book of Exodus. Just read your Bible, read anywhere you want to, really, and you'll find these things. And more than anything else, if you have questions, come and ask us questions. We we love to talk about this kind of stuff. We love to talk about what's in the Bible. We love to talk about God and His sovereignty and His power and salvation. Constantly. Yeah. And I mean, and we talk about a lot of other stuff, too. Guns are cool, but you know what's cooler than that? The fact that God decided to save people. Why would he do that? Right? We talked about categories of being. There's God and there's not God. God was perfectly fine on his own. And yet he decided to save us. It really doesn't make any sense especially when you recognize how sinful you are, right? And so all of these things, right, circling back to the beginning, like Josiah said, all of these things are for God's glory, and that's why we praise him, because he's glorious. And although we may not understand it fully, although we may not fully get it, we praise him because he is determined to reveal himself to us, and then he's determined to save us, despite our sinfulness. Cool? All right. Let me pray for us real quick, and uh, y'all are out of time, so. Heavenly Father, we are just in awe of your goodness. Lord, we're in awe of who you are, and not only of who you are, but of what you have done, namely in the saving of your people. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, but you have powerfully acted to save us. Lord, and not only do you bring salvation initially, Lord, but you carry it to its completion. And so, Lord, we thank you that our salvation is not dependent on us. It's not dependent on our decision, nor is it dependent on our ability to keep it, Lord, but it's fully dependent on you. And though it's a mystery, though we will fully ne- we will never fully understand it in this life, Lord, we thank you that that is true. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, I pray for these students. Lord, I pray that your word would become sweet to them. God, that they would desire to study your word, to know what you have said, to know what you have revealed to us. And Lord, ultimately we pray that your spirit would work in them. Lord, if there's students here who don't know you tonight, Lord, we pray that the gospel that they have heard proclaimed, Lord, would be the imperishable seed of the new birth. God, that your spirit would take out their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. God, and you would cause them to be born again. Lord, we thank you that you are powerful enough to do that. And you are gracious enough to do that. We thank you and we praise you for all these things. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, amen.